Amen. Well, please turn with me, and if you would, please stand for the reading of the scripture to Revelation 3 and 20. Revelation 3 and 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. The title of our time together, our message today will be there's someone at the door. Please repeat after me and say, there's someone at the door. Let's praise the Lord as we are seated on today. It is, or it seems to be the practice of our day to act in the agenda of supreme self-interest. It was once said that you will never be more than number two in someone else's eyes. Bishop has at times when greeting us has even joked saying, give your favorite person a hand yourself. I mean, it's completely natural. A sense of self-preservation the will to live, which is in all of us. It has kept us alive throughout the ages. Self-interest in and of itself is not bad. It's only natural to have an awareness of self, of your you-ness, you-ness. But I believe in this day and time and in our culture especially that we, have may, take, we may have taken this meanest thing to an entirely new extreme. It is taken for granted that people often seem to be out for what they can get and only what they can get. It seems to be the law of the jungle. Our minds are trained to expect this attitude in others. Let some person come along and treat you very kindly and be very nice. Let them go out of their way to be nice and treat you kindly and do something for you. And almost inevitably, you will say in your thoughts and in your mind, I wonder what they're up to. I wonder what their angle is. I wonder what they really want from me. The principle of self-interest is alive even in our dealings with others in our relationships. Ladies, that man acted so sweet and mannerly, so much like a gentleman until he got what he wanted. Brothers, she acted so interested in you until she found out that you worked at a burger stand. And that the car you picked her up in was your friend's car who he borrowed from someone else. Yes, self-interest seems to be the order of the day. The truth of the matter, if we can be honest with ourselves, is that seldom, if ever, do we initiate a relationship or a friendship with someone else purely for their benefit. The sad truth of the matter is that some of us start relationships and get into relationships because we ourselves have some need or some desire that we want them to meet within us. Some simply had a need for companionship. They didn't want to be lonely. So they found someone who they could be with and they want the other person to keep them from being lonely. And though love can said to be play a large part, they have a picture in their mind of what they want their life to be like. And they have their own version of what love is. And they enter into full-blown marriages with that person in hopes or in demands that the other person will help them attain the kind of life and feeling that they pictured for themselves. 
not so they can make their spouse's life better. People are so hung up on self-interest that even, it even affects the way that we perceive others that are in their own relationships. We may see a very attractive man with a woman that might not meet our own standard of beauty or vice versa, and we'll find ourselves asking, I wonder what he sees in her. Or I wonder what she sees in him. It must be the money that he's making. I realize I'm in a lot of y'all neighborhood on the day. All right, I mean, praise the Lord. But it's in the air that we breathe. Don't feel bad or accused or implicated because it's only natural. I mean, last week we took a picture of everyone here at church for the West Angeles family reunion. And again, let's praise the Lord for the family reunion that we had on last week. But last week we all banded together and got together for a group photo of the church. And when that picture comes out and all of us get the picture, guess who you're going to look for first in that picture? Oh, don't feel bad, self-interest it's only natural. We, all, we also call it self-preservation, self-awareness, knowing who you are and what you want. You see, it doesn't become bad until you are no longer seeing other people as people, but you start seeing them as pieces and tools that you move and use to feed and accomplish your own interest and desires. But we are all motivated by self-interest of some kind. We all have needs that we look to others to provide for us. Needs like attention, the need to be listened to, the need to be respected, affirmed, loved, and sympathized with. Some of us have become experts in the practice of acting a certain way because there is something ultimately that we want from someone. And that is the sad way that some people, more than we care to admit, live their lives out, using others to get what they need and want. But like Bishop has said in the past, the person who was motivated completely by self-interest is one of the most miserable persons in the world. The person who finds joy only in getting from others is unfortunate and wretched indeed. But then Bishop said that the person that is truly happy, the person that is truly meaningful and relevant is not the one who takes such pride in finding what people can do for them. Rather, it is the one who lives to find what he or she can do for others. Amen. That deserves some praise right there. That's why God's concern for us is so amazing. You see, there is absolutely nothing we can do to add to God's completeness, to add to God's power. Unlike the world that operates only in its own self-interest, God comes to us only to help us and make us better. He does not need anything from us. But for some reason in all of his power, he wants to be a part of our lives. He cares for us. God loves us. And I don't understand why. I'm just glad that he does. Amen. But the funny thing is that we don't always believe that we can accept this love. It's sometimes in life, sometimes we think that we need to make things better ourselves before we can invite God into our lives. We think that we need to fix ourselves before we let God do what he's going to do with us. I've always found it very interesting how the disciples objected 
when Jesus wanted to wash their feet. On the surface, I've always thought that it was because they held him in such high regard, respect, and adoration that they would not want the master to stoop down to the level of a common servant to wash their feet. One of the lowliest servants in ancient homes was the kind of the foot washer. They didn't have a whole lot of shoes back then, no ballets, no Nikes, no Ferragamos, none of that. So most folks walked around barefoot or wearing some kind of sandals. Your feet got dirty. So when you would go into someone's house, there would be there someone there with a basin, usually the lowest guy on the totem pole, to wash your feet so you wouldn't track all of whatever you stepped in through the house. But if they were in there, they did not want Jesus to be one to go to that level and wash their feet. So I thought that they would not want him to do that because he was the master and the son of God, something that they didn't quite understand at the moment anyway. But if they were anything like us, I don't think that they wanted Jesus to see how jacked up their feet were. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think they wanted Jesus to see the dirtiest parts of themselves. Oh, yeah. Getting your feet washed can be such an embarrassing thing. All of the corns, all of the bunions, and all of the bad odor are exposed is definitely not the part of yourself that you would want to show someone that you are seeking to impress or at least you're trying to make a good impression on. I mean, not that we're thinking about having one here at West Angeles, amen, but I can only imagine that if we were to have a good old-fashioned foot washing service here at West Angeles, how many of us would try to sneak and get a pedicure just before the foot washing service, just before service times. Some of us would not even go through with it. But Jesus had to issue an ultimatum to the disciples, to them, and to make them let him wash their feet by saying, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. You see, you have to let him see and touch the worst and dirtiest parts of you. You can't try to hide those parts of you. I know that I'm not the only one here that has gotten embarrassed when I've gone to the doctor. And the doctor asked me if I've been doing everything that he or she has told me that I should have been doing. If I've been eating right, or if I've been getting my exercise, or if I've been watching my blood pressure and I, I would try to make my excuses sound so good as if my doctor is giving out awards for good health. I used to try to impress my doctor with my good health habits when the reason that I was seeing the doctor in the first place was because something is wrong. It's as if I will, we would be trying to impress those that we are asking for help. But if we had it that much together, we wouldn't need the help. We know that we each need help in our lives. We know that we are not perfect, but we don't want it to seem like we need the help that we are so desperately seeking. We want to at least seem like we have it all together, as much together as possible, even though we still need healing and cleansing. Like I said, I know I'm in most of y'all's business, amen. So I don't mind if I don't hear nobody out there. <laughs> but it's always been so interesting to me when people try to clean up their language and conversation when I come around. That when I show up on the scene, everyone tries to be on their best behavior as, as if I myself were handing out rewards or punishments for good behavior. Now, I appreciate the respect for the office of assistant pastor and as a servant of the most high God, but I don't have a heaven or a hell to put you in. I can't judge anybody. The one who does judge or the one who does have a heaven or a hell to put you in was already there listening to your heart, 
listening to your thoughts before I ever walked up. He's the one you need to be trying to impress. Amen? Amen. But if you want to truly be cleansed, you have to let Jesus touch the dirtiest parts of your life. You can't try to clean them up yourself and then come to him. You can't say that you'll start coming to church and that you'll come to, to the Lord when you get it all together because you won't get it all together until you come to the Lord. Until you let the blood of Jesus wash the dirtiest parts of your life. But until then, he continues knocking. Knocking at the door of your heart. Knocking at the door of your house. Oh, he knows you're in there because he heard you. He feels your pain. He hears your silent cries. He saw you peeping through the blinds but not coming to the door, but he stands there still, knocking. Can you hear him? There was a woman I heard about that every once in a while she would have someone come to her house, a cleaning service to come in, and clean her house every so often. The funny thing is that she would spend the whole day before they got there, before they arrived, cleaning her house before the cleaning service came to clean her house. And she did it so they wouldn't think she kept a messy, I mean, no, no, not that she wouldn't keep a messy house, but she did it so she could make it easier for them to clean up. But the reason that she needed the cleaners to come to her house be was because she needed the house to be cleaned in the first place. The text says that Jesus knocks at the door of our hearts, of the door of our houses. And sometimes we want to let Jesus in just long enough for him to clean up the messes that we've made and then we quietly escort him out the back door. Remember before you had that job you were praying for? Remember before you got in that relationship you were seeking the Lord for? Remember before God worked that miracle in your life when you got that bad report from the doctor and you weren't going to make it when you didn't see a way, way out? You were right there at the church before the doors opened up. And they had to make you leave after church was over because you wanted to stay at the altar. Praising the Lord. You were fasting and praying every 15 minutes. You were like, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour, I need thee. Ooh, eat a mosquito. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. Ooh, kickstart my Honda. I come to who thee, hallelujah, hallelujah, oh, Jesus. And there you were, every service, just praying and laying it down before the altar. <laughs> but I can always tell when God has sometimes met someone's need or answered someone's prayer because I sometimes don't see them at service as much. That has been my signal at times that God must have worked out whatever problem that they had because they done took their blessing and went on about their business. And Jesus comes in and cleans up your life and blesses you and answers your prayer, works the miracle, and you use those same blessings that he blessed you with to get right back into trouble and pull all of that mess right back into your life, right back into your house again. Sooner or later, though, when life gets good and a hold of you again, you're going to be there calling on him to come back in. I need... Well, y'all know the song. <laughs> but if you let him in and you let him stay there, then you won't have to call on him to become a part of your life when things get rough again. Sometimes we might forget that we're either coming out of a storm, we're in a storm, or we're about to go into another storm. 
And if you have him with you, he will already be in your house. Like the disciples found out that a boat with Jesus in it cannot sink. A house with Jesus in it cannot be blown over no matter how hard the winds blow, no matter how tough the storms are. Oh, somebody give him some praise in here today. Oh, praise him like he's brought you through something. Amen. Sometimes we even like to dress up the outside of our hearts of our houses. We even have the front yard looking real good. Lawns manicured to perfection. Everyone sees us and says that they think that we have it all together. But the reality is it's just inside the door of our houses, just inside that beautiful front lawn that inside of the house is completely filthy, full of rats, full of roaches, and full of other pests and vermin. Now, I know that God created all creatures and said that it was good. It's right there in Genesis. God created all the creatures and he said it's good. Amen. But I have a special hatred <laughs> deep down in my soul for rats. Everybody from the hood hates rats. I think everybody hates rats. Some people like them. I don't understand it. I don't get it, but I hate me some rats. If I know that rats are here, I'm going to go over here. I think that we should take a blowtorch to all of them. Amen. One rat in the church, we got to burn it all down. It got to go. I do not like rats. They carry and spread disease. They are filthy. They reproduce at an astronomical rate. They will eat anything, including you. If you lay there long enough, a rat will eat you. Was that too far? I don't know. Will they really eat you? Okay, then a rat will eat you. I think that's just, just my spirit speaking on the subject. I'm sorry, Lord, hallelujah. Mm. They are generally known to be among the most repulsive animals on the planet. Yet we give them everything that they need to survive. We provide food for the rats. We provide shelter for these animals. And we provide for them a conducive environment to reproduce. But that's just like the sin in our lives, isn't it? We give the sin in our lives everything it needs to survive and thrive in our own lives and in our own hearts. You may think that your house doesn't have any rats in it, and it probably doesn't, but go into the pipes under the ground in your house and in your neighborhood, and guess what you're going to find there? Go into the sewer system just under this very building and find out what's living down there. We give them everything that they need to survive and thrive in our lives and in our hearts. And sin is just like that. We feed it with our pride. We feed the sin in our lives with our fear and with our worry. We feed it with everything that we spend our times thinking about. You have to guard your thoughts. You have to guard the websites that you go to when you're up by yourself and ain't nobody in the house with you. You can't spend all of your time on the shopping websites wishing I had this, wishing I had that. Comparing your life to other people's lives, you have to guard your thoughts because that's how you feed the sin in your life. We like to give off the impression to others that we don't need help that we have it all figured out. Young man or young women may have been coming around the church for a very long time, may have been known to be someone that has been into the Lord, 
a true believer, passionate in worship. They may be hurting or they just may want to spend a little bit of time at the altar before the Lord. But as he or she walks toward the altar during service to get prayer, you can hear the whispers. What do you think it is? What do you think she needs deliverance from? Well, I heard this. Well, her mama's auntie's cousin's brother told me that she'd been dealing with this. And we no longer feel safe in the house of God showing our pain, showing our weakness, showing that we are hurt. And this is the place where you should be able to come to show your pain and to show your weakness, to be able to say to your brother and your sister that I need help. Is it ego? Is it survival instinct? Or a little bit of both that makes us wear the mask of false perfection? Christ stands at the door of our hearts, knocking. And we are all in need of him. Someone can present the holiest impression here at church as possible. Have me and all of us here at West Angeles thinking that you are the most saved and sanctified person in the world and you still be in your own private hell. Looking so put together on the outside, wearing the mask but quietly falling apart on the inside and dying on the inside. You know, we all know how embarrassing hospital gowns are, you know, with, with the back open up and your, your derriere hanging all out, amen? But if you are hurt or injured enough or the pain is great enough and you are bleeding profusely, and you know that you're in need of emergency care and assistance, you don't care how that hospital gown looks or who sees you wearing it. You need help and you need it immediately. You don't care how you look or who sees you, you need help and you need it now. Not five minutes from now, not five seconds from now, but now, I need help now. It's like this. Lady Deandra loves these home renovation programs that come on HDTV. How many of y'all know about the home fixer-upper and flipper-flop and all of those? Amen. I'm not the biggest fan because every time I look at one, I get reminded how small my plate is. <laughs> and then I can see right after the episode, Deandra will look at me and say, you know, I was just thinking about the living room, you know, right in there, and maybe we should you know, move everything around, amen. And I'd be like, well, we tried that before last episode and um, it didn't work, amen, you know. So, you know, baby, I'm your guy, you know, we'll try to move it around again, you know, and see if it can get it to work. <laughs> but there are times when I'll be watching one of the episodes of those shows with her and I'll see how some of the houses look when the couple who was looking to buy a home first sees the house, I mean, it will be completely busted. I mean, busted. Of course, our friends, the rats, you know, will be there sometimes too. <laughs> so, you know, I'm already turned off. But there may be trash in front of the house. And the walls and the floors will be all completely messed up and rotted out and everything will be in complete disarray. And the couple has that, you want us to move in here? Look on their face as they walk through the house. And the host of the expert has to keep telling the couple, hey, wait, think about the potential. Think about what we could do here. And the couple will be talking about how they don't like the wallpaper or something trite like that, not even knowing that the wall that the wallpaper is on might not even be there when the expert finishes working on the house. But then the host or the expert starts their process. They begin tearing stuff down and building 
stuff up. Sometimes I have to go deep into the foundation of the house and rebuild the foundation. Sometimes I have to go through the house and rebuild the plumbing system. Sometimes I have to go into the walls and redo all of the electronics, the process. I've come to love and see, love to see the look on the faces of the couple when they look at their new house. They call it, during the show, the big reveal. The same house that they looked at in the beginning of the episode with such disgust. They have a completely new look on their face now. When they, when they finally see what the host, what the designers saw at the beginning, but they're at the end of the process, they are completely lit up when they have and see the big reveal. We see our lives and each other's lives as they are when we first see them. We, like the couple, may see messed up yards and paint chipping from the walls of our lives and we may not be able to hide our disgust at what our own lives have turned into. God, like the experts, looks at the house, our lives, and he, the ultimate renovation expert, sees the potential. While we look at the way that our lives look today, God looks at our lives through the potential that they represent. And there are some houses that look completely immaculate from the outside, but as you go look closer, you found out that the foundation is rotted. We found out that what we thought was a good house was a nightmare of epic proportions. You see, because man judges from the outward appearance, but God judges from the heart. How many of you know that God has a big reveal in store for your life? God has a big reveal in store for your heart and your house. God can completely redo and become the foundations of your life. Now, somebody in here give the Lord some praise. Say, I'm in store for the big reveal. <laughs> But the Son of God left the majesty of heaven, became flesh, and dwelt among us, died for us, and now he awaits to save us. He wants to show you what is truly inside of you once you let him in and get to moving stuff around in your life. He is the only thing that can fill the empty space in your life. Oh, that deserves some praise. Amen. Somebody in here knows what I'm talking about. He does not say, find me or come to my place of business or rise up to where I am. He does not say, ascend to my level or come to my community. He does not say, become powerful or become popular. In this verse, he says, don't come to me at all. I'll come to you. I'm already at the door. Can't you hear me knocking? You see, Jesus never forces his way. He merely stands there and knocks. Other things don't knock. They don't wait for any invitation. Wherever there is an opening, they will find a way in. They are experts at breaking and entering. They break in on you without your consent like a home invader or they lie and wait for you to leave the door of your thoughts open and they sneak in. Rats and vermin and sin, they don't knock at the door. Sorrow awaits no invitation to come into your house. Pain and discouragement will actually break down the door and walk in. Temptation always sneaks in through the back window when you're not looking for it. But the word says that the thief comes in to steal, kill, and to destroy. You see, sin moved in when we all moved in. It was King David that said we were born in sin and shaped in iniquity. But Jesus still stands there, knocking, waiting to be invited in. He knocks and he knocks and he knocks 
and he knocks. He knocks through our failures and through our self-inflicted suffering. When you have tried everything and everything has failed, Jesus is knocking saying, try me. Just let me in. I won't fail. Let me help you. I'm here to help you. You don't have to feel what you feel. You don't have to die this way. You don't have to live this way. Let me help you. Oh, somebody give the Lord some praise on today. Mm. But without God, we can do nothing. He knocks through our frustrations and the meaningless of our lives in our own hands. Has your life grown stale and bland and you find yourself wanting something more? That's Jesus knocking. The knocking never stops. Do you ever look back with regret on things that you should have done or things that you should not have done? Do you still look with embarrassment at things that you did 20 or 30 years ago? That's Jesus knocking. Do you ever feel hopeless and helpless that your life is just going through cycles of defeat and nothingness? That's Jesus knocking. He knocks through your pain. He knocks through your weakness. Jesus knocks through your trouble. He knocks, through with, he knocks with a spiritual thirst, with a kind of water that will keep you from ever being thirsty again. Whether you admit it or not, your soul is thirsty. I know they try to use that on the internet. Oh, he thirsty. Well, my soul is thirsty. It's thirsty for water that will keep on and quench my thirst. My soul is thirsty and crying out for God. That thirst is him knocking. It was the great Augustine that said, Oh God, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. He knocks through your sinfulness and through spiritual bondage. The knocking never stops. Jesus says that I'm knocking even now at the door, but the time is so critical that I'm calling on every man, woman, and every child that if any man or woman, if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, then I will come in. Oh, let's give the Lord praise on today. There's someone out there that actually wants you to have a good life, that actually wants you to be you, but be more than what you are, that wants you to reach the height of your potential. See, it comes down to a few very simple points, and I'm, a, I'm about to let you go soon, amen. But it makes no difference who you are or what you have done. That's point number one. He will still come in. You may be wondering if he, even, if he even remembers who you are or where you live, if he would even come to your neighborhood. But if he's there, he'll be right there knocking. Point two is don't keep Jesus waiting while you try to clean up and straighten out your house and your heart. You cannot straighten it out yourself. Let him in and he will help you clean up and straighten. In fact, he'll say, listen, you sit down over here. You didn't cause enough trouble and made enough mess. Let me do what I'm going to do in your life. Let me do what I do in your life. Point three, let me in and I will partake with you and use what you have to offer. I will eat with you. I will be with you. When Jesus took and multiplied that little boy's fish and loaves, I have to imagine in my holy imagination, but I can guarantee that that young man's fish and loaves tasted a whole lot better after Jesus praying for it and broke them up and multiplied them. Those brothers came, man, that was the best fish I ever had in my life. Amen. Let him in, point four, let him in, and he will bring, bring the best parts of the feast with him. He says, not only will I sup with you, but he says, you will sup with me. It reminds me of the story I heard of when Jesus went with his mother to the wedding feast and they ran out of wine. 
And this mother goes to Jesus and says, hey, you know, can you, you know, do what you do? He's like, woman, what does that have to do with me? It is not my time. And she's like, oh, well, you know, come on now. These are friends of mine. Will you please do what you He's like, all right, goes to bring me a bunch of water, touches the wine, touches the water, turns the wine, party on. Amen. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but you have to know that when you let Jesus in your house, he brings the good stuff. Amen. <laughs> the wedding party was blessed just because Jesus was there in the house. When the widow let the prophet of the Lord in her house, she and her son were about to starve. There was no food in their house. The widow's son was sick unto death, and she and her son were about to die in a famine. But when she let Elijah, the man of God, into her house, her son got healed, and her food stores were filled all the days of the famine. I'm talking about Jesus. Somebody in here give the Lord some praise. I'm talking about Jesus. In the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. In the name of Jesus, the dead shall be raised. In the name of Jesus, marriages will be saved. In the name of Jesus, families will be healed. Oh, somebody stand up and give the Lord praise on today. Somebody stands up who wants them in your house, in your heart. In the name of Jesus, your body will be healed. In the name of Jesus, there is peace. In the name of Jesus, there is power. In the name of Jesus, there is prosperity. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. Oh, somebody give the name of Jesus some praise on today. Oh, don't pity Pat with him. Give him praise. Let all the true worshipers worship the name of the Lord on today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, praise the name of Jesus. Oh, come on, beloved. I'm going to give you an opportunity and a moment to give the Lord praise on today. Oh, there is something you want in your life. This is the opportunity to give him some praise. There is raise in your praise. There is promotion in your praise. There is healing in your praise. There is victory in your praise. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody give the Lord some praise on today. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, we have the victory. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, Satan will have to flee. Tell me who can stand before us when we call on that great name. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, we have the victory. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will hear my voice, let him open the door, and I will come in and eat with him and be with him. I will live life with him and he with me. Oh, everybody in the house of the Lord, please standing. Oh, everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. This is a very sacred time. We're about to ask people to come forward. Don't desecrate this sacred moment by walking towards the door. This is a very, very important time. The Savior is waiting to enter your heart. Why don't you let him in? There's nothing in this world that is worth enough for you not to let him in. What is your answer? There's someone at the door. Time after time, he has waited and knocked at the door of your heart, the door of your life. He waits still knocking to see if you're willing to open the door. That's him knocking right there. He wishes to come in not as a guest that will leave after a time, but as family that will now be living with you. He is a friend that will stick closer.
and a brother. If you will take one step towards the Savior, you'll find that his arms are open wide, my friends. Receive him and all of your darkness will end and within your heart he will abide. He may not even be a stranger. You may have had him in your heart before. But for somewhere, some form or fashion, he got escorted out the back door. But there he is at the door of your heart asking to come back in again. Let him in and you will have everything that you'll ever need. If there is someone here that wants to answer the door of your heart, that wants more out of your exist existence than what life has been handing you, if there is someone here that wants to know true peace, now is the time to let him into your heart. Don't wait until you get yourself together because you can't do it without him. There will always be something missing if you try to do it without him. Let him in so he can int introduce you to who you really are in him. Up to this point in your life without him, you've only been living a half of an existence. If it's as if you are a 12-cylinder sports car and you've only been operating off of four cylinders. But if you want true power, true potential, true knowledge of who you really are, He's right there, knocking. Just let him in so he can introduce you to who you really are. And if that is you, all you have to do to start this process of renovation, all you have to do to start this process of moving closer to your big reveal is lifting up your hand. That's all you have to do is lift up your hand. Oh, I know there's someone in here that here Jesus is knocking. Jesus at the door of their heart. And if you want to open the door at this moment, just lift up your hand. Everyone, please, let's pray and please repeat after me. Dear precious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son to die for my sins. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have done. Please forgive me for the wrong that I have been. You, Jesus Christ, we, I believe that Jesus Christ came to die for my sins. And I believe that he rose again for, on the third day. And I accept him into my life right now. And I thank him for what he's going to do in my life. I thank him for forgiving me for all of my sins. And I will live my life in power through him. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. Somebody just received Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior. Somebody here heard Jesus knocking. There is somebody at the door.